Managing the Movement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, CSRO, joined here by Howard Brown, CEO, founder of Revenue.io, pioneer and recognized authority in AI revenue science, and all around good guy. So Howard, great to be with you today. Thank you, Alistair. Good to be here. We are excited to have with us Tal Riesenfeld. Tal is the co-founder and chief revenue officer at Sunbit. Now, this is an amazing space when we think about it in terms of the BMPL, um, the buy now, pay later space. You know, we have companies like Affirm. Many of you have heard of that. So, you know, anybody who's bought on Amazon over the Christmas season has probably seen the ads pop up on the e-com site around buy now, pay later from, uh, from Amazon, our buy Affirm. But Tal, you and your company, I love the mission behind it. You know, you're really focused on what I'll call is the real world of buy now, pay later. You're, you're helping people buy cars. You're helping them fix critical dental issues. Like you're, you're giving them the financial means to actually accomplish something that's meaningful in their life in, in what I'll call the brick and mortar side of it. And Tal, we would love to explore with you today you know, the impact of that mission-driven sales and, and how you've approached building a fantastic company. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, as I said, it's, uh, it's a dynamic space, right? When you think of fintech, we think of the, in the acronym BNPL, which is buy now, pay later. You know, it's exploding, right? It's absolutely people need more creative financing systems. And, and Tal, you, know, you really took this on and have built a extraordinary sales organization that you know, they don't just understand the economics, but the culture, the experience, the, the sales experience that goes with that. And in an age where sellers are dealing with a boatload of technology, I relentlessly push for results. What's different? What, what are you guys doing that is working so well, given your growth? Yeah, fantastic. So I'll start by saying, and you nailed it, you know, Affirm, Buy Now, Pay Later Online is popular, it's working. I don't know if you saw the stock recently. They're doing extremely well in the holiday season, which is great. Um, we took a bit of a different approach. Uh, when we started the company eight years ago, we looked at the online space, and it was already starting to be crowded with Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay, and a lot of players. But fundamentally, what they were doing, which is offering a, a better way to pay and a better way to split purchases, made a lot of sense. But we took it to the brick and mortar. So we took it um, to car dealerships who so fixing your car and, and to dentists. You know, what happens when you get hit by $1,200 of, of a root canal? And that's something that you need to get done and you weren't planning on. And for a lot of Americans, that's a lot of money, right? So the ability to split that purchase into payments. Um, so we went down the route of brick and mortar, of, of non-discretionary. And, and I'd lie if I say we planned it that way. But what happened is once you help people, you help both kind of the, the, the retailers and the customers with, with, you know, things they need, that creates a mission-driven organization and a mission-driven sales team. Because, you know, once the seller now goes into the dental office, I have a product that's going to help you, Mr. Dentist, make more money, but as important, make your customer, allow him to, to get the treatment he or she needs. Um, so that's the angle we took, um, didn't go... Took the, the path less taken when we went to the brick and mortar, which, as you guys understand, that requires selling and training and kind of face-to-face -face activity. Um, but have been very successful there and, and uh, growing very quickly there. 
You know, and, and Howard, as I reflect on what Tao just said there, this concept of mission-driven sales, you know, I'm really privileged today because both you and Tao are multiple company co-founders, right? Tao's done a couple, you've done a couple before, and I think both are at this journey, I'm going to project on you both here, of, of doing more than just, hey, let's create a good company and exit, but actually... Let's have a meaning behind it. And I think of revenue.io and the purpose is being to elevate and improve the basics of human communication always. And we, we've done so much around that. But I won't lie to you both. When I was at Gartner, every CEO told me they had a mission. Every CEO told me they had a purpose. And, and, and yet when you went and talked to the rank and file, they're like, nah, well, yeah. They, they can seldom even quote what that mission and purpose is. Like Howard... Like Tal, how do you approach mission and purpose in sales? How do, how do we bring that back to sales? What have you done? Yeah, look, I think that um, I think that everybody hopefully has their sense of their own purpose and mission and values, both as an individual within their family, and then uh, hopefully that extends out to their company. Um, for For me, as you know, um, in my background is in clinical psychology. It's in helping people um, with very difficult, challenging uh, relationship problems, personal problems. And for me, it's always about how I can be helpful. And when I think about sales and I think about the challenges that every salesperson is confronted with on a daily basis, which is there is a stigma that's attached to sales. It's in a lot of people's eyes, it's a pushy perfection that's all about money and it's all about me, me, me. That that is both unfair and untrue in a lot of cases. Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases. However, given the transformation of what sales is. And what it used to be, I don't think everybody's up to speed on how the profession has changed. And quite frankly, the profession has changed, not driven in most part by the sales profession, but by consumers. Consumers, for the most part, aren't really interested in the pushing of sales. They're more interested in salespeople being helpers. They're more interested in salespeople helping them reach their goals, helping them educate them on how to solve problems, how to achieve bigger and better things for their organization or self. That requires not only for the business world to understand that change, it requires each individual sales rep because I think in many ways, sales reps have internalized the stigma of, Nobody wants to talk to us. We're annoying. We're too pushy. Um, it's almost like uh, the stigma of being an attorney or uh, the stigma of being that dentist, right? It's just going to be painful and everything else. When in fact, salespeople, a lot of them actually do want to help. And if you're not in the profession to help people, go find another profession because this profession today is all about helping. People can find all the information they want online, right, for the most part. But it gets to a point where they want to talk to a human being that can actually help them 
make that purchase decision. And that's what sales is about. That's what sales should be about. That's why our mission at Revenue.io is all about helping deliver a better customer experience and deliver a better buying experience and seller experience. So that's uh, probably a long-winded answer, but certainly why the mission and why it's so important to, um, to align with that if you're going to work for a company. And Howard, if I, if I can jump in, I heard you, you know, one of the things you said about sellers making money and commission, which is true, but I always view that as sellers want to be successful. And the commission check is a symptom of saying, hey, Howard, you did a good job this month, hence you're making money. But at the bottom end, you know, if you look down deep in, sellers want to be successful. And if you're, if you're selling a good product, if you're proud of that product, if, if, you know, the, if you're adding value to your buyers, I mean, then the paycheck is, is yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice to have and, and, you know, we need to pay the electricity bill. But I think sellers are less attached to commission and paycheck than people think. It's just a way for them to get a good, good job on pat on the shoulder. That's the way I look at that. Yeah, and look, even in, even in how you said it, nobody should feel guilty about making money. Let's, uh, let's face it, you could build the best product or service in the world, and if nobody buys it, you're going nowhere. Your organization is not going to grow and you will go out of business. So it requires people, salespeople, to help articulate the message, to help connect the buyers and their needs and the problems they have to what it is you're offering. So you should make a good living by doing sales because without sales, nothing happens. It is the lifeblood of the organization. So there should be no guilt in making a very good paycheck for being very successful because guess what's happening? Your customer hopefully will be successful with your product and your company will be successful because they are getting value and they are getting compensated as well. You know, it's, it's, I think you're both absolutely bang on when you think of the mission and the purpose behind the seller, right? They, I love this idea of be the chief helper. And if they're not wired that way, not uh, you shouldn't be in it. It's how to your point, yes, compensation's the symptom, right? That's just what you get out of it. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing disingenuous with that. But I I, I do want to just press harder on Ital, how have you how have you really connected that mission of helping people, right? Like it's it's great to say, yes, I'm gonna help people when they need they need to buy a car, which in many people's case, your transportation opens up in a whole nother world of economic advantages, simply being able to go further than five miles, right? Like it, it, it's a real things to a large portion of the population. But but beyond the lip service of yes, there's the need. What, what does it actually mean? Like you, you've built a fairly sizable sales org now. If we had one of your sellers on here, well, what would they say beyond the lip service of what to say they're behind the purpose? How, how, how are they connecting? Yeah. So, so first of all, yeah, and it does start with the mission and the vision. And, you know, we started the company because we believe people deserve to make the most out of their money. And just by saying that and meaning that, that that's where you start. And, and, you know, and I always say for every new seller, and you know, the, through the process, they understand it. it some, some of the things is just, you see the products we're selling, we're helping, we're not selling Gucci bags, we're not selling Pelotons, we're not selling t-shirts, we're helping you fix your car, we're helping you, you know, um, with, with your healthcare. 
But I always say, with that said and done, there's always a point. I see it in every new seller that at a certain point, even though they heard all, all that I said and they get it and they signed up, there's that day where they call, call and they come back and they say, you know what happened today? I went to the dentist and I sold this product and they thanked me and the associate thanked me and the doctor. There's that point. I always say there's the seller of the before and after. And the after is where you suddenly believe that, you know, this is a product I'm actually helping the, the office and I'm actually helping the end customer. So I love what you said, you know, you need to feel it. And I, the, there's the seller before and after. And the, before the seller is joining a company that's growing and has a cool product and so on and so forth. And then there's the after where the seller can go back to his or her partner and say, hey, I just got a call from one of my prospects telling me that two customers that were not able to pay for their root canal just you know, they were in pain and, and we solved the problem. So at the end of the day, it comes down to they need to, it doesn't matter what I say, they need to feel it by themselves. But once you do, you've got a different seller from that point on. I, I think that's an extraordinary insight. And and Howard, you know, you work with a lot of enterprises around the world, you know, and they are big teams. I'm going to say the quantification of impact is what a seller needs to, they need to feel that regardless of what it is, software, or, or it could be, you know, medical services, it could be pharmaceutical distribution, it could be a wealth manager. Even in the wealth management space, you think, you know, they, they are in essence in a sales type environment. Do they connect with what they just did to help somebody where somebody passed away and they helped to the successful transfer of assets to someone? And do they connect viscerally with the outcome they are creating. And that's such an infusion of culture in, in sales. And frankly, most professionally, if you can connect at that level, but we tend to fall short. I'm not sure we get to Tao's point where we get that, that after the sale energy and connectivity. Um, but, but what have you seen in that space? Look, I think that in today's business environment, and especially in subscription businesses, we know that just acquiring a customer is not enough, right? The, the cost of acquisition for a customer is extremely high. And because of that, the way the model typically works is you need to retain that customer over a series of several years. And as a seller, you are promising to deliver value of whatever product or service that you are delivering. If you are not delivering that service, if you're not helping that customer achieve their goals, then that customer is going to go away. And so everybody talks about sales being so great. Well, sales is great, but there is a cost of sale. And that cost of sale for a lot of businesses is the entire first year of that subscription revenue. So the core, the key is really to retain that customer. And the way to retain that customer is making sure you deliver that value. So salespeople today not only have to sell, they have to sell to the right customer. They have to align that customer to the value that they're going to deliver. And they need to make sure that their organization continues to deliver value to that customer and future customers. So it's not a transactional sale necessarily. It's about delivering value, delivering a vision, helping whoever you're selling to imagine a better version of themselves, right? 
I'm working on things I am more passionate about. I'm not wasting my time on manual tasks. I'm doing things that will help my team. That is what's going to resonate. So if we're not selling things that add value, that will continue to add value, you're probably not, it's probably not going to work out for the business anyway. And, and Howard, the way we solve that structurally, and I'm going to go back to compensation for a second in our company because of the type of product we sell, 50% of the commission the seller makes for the, the business signing and launching the program. Good job. But the other 50% is dependent on how effective they are in using the product. So if I sold the product to you and you're not using it, you're not happy. I'm not happy either. And hopefully I learned from that. But on the other hand, if you're utilizing the product, you're the right prospect. If I sold it correctly, because we all know that how you sell impacts, you know, it, there's one thing about getting the piece of paper signed. There's another thing when, when the prospect understands the process they need to go to and how they implement it and so on and so forth. That's where the sellers make the, comp the commission. So we also tied that not just in theory, but to the paycheck at the end of the day. And listen, sellers that sell less deals, but with more utilizations make more money than sellers that sell, you know, a lot of deals with low utilization. So we, we try to really embed it, not just in the theory, but also in, in practicality. I love that. I love that. And it's funny that you keep bringing up the dentist because I was literally at the dentist just before this meeting because I had chipped my tooth. And when you're up there at the, at the payment area, there's literally a brochure about how you can finance the dentist. So I was staring at that thing, not 45 minutes before this conversation. It's funny. And, and we'll talk about, you know, we can talk about that for sure, because one of the things that we did, we disrupted that industry, that, that, that piece of paper, that for sure. I don't know what the company was, but you know, your father had the same brochure sitting there. And one of the things that we came with technology that, that disrupted that brochure and, and, uh, so you don't get a brochure with Sunbit. It's a digital process. It takes 30 seconds and we can talk about the benefits, but you know, that that's one of the things that we try to do, not just, you know, bringing a good product is great, but if you can bring a destructive product then that's a home run. Tal, I want to piggyback off one thing you said on the compensation there that I think is important for our audience. Compensation is all about behavior. Sales is all about behavior. Values all have a behavior behind them. But in comp designing, you think about that, you know, people often want to, well, they, they're trying to motivate to drive more. But behavior is equally as important on that as well. And you know, I'll give you an extreme example. Like you, where you've now focused on both the sale and then the utilization, Microsoft had to go through that. You know, Microsoft had a, had a model for many years that paid their global AEs all on, hey, get people onto Azure, get them onto the cloud, get them using it, you know, just, just get more seats, right? And then they suddenly found, well, hold on, nobody's using this. And then what do you think happened? Every, every time a renewal came along, I was like, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not using anything. Why, why am I paying for this? And they're like, this is a big problem. So then they situated their reps around, hey, a bunch of your compensation is going to be now tied to not just the amount of seats you sell, but actually whether or not people are using the products. Lo and behold, they're suddenly getting people using product all over the place. But it was, it was sometimes there is this forcing function with compensation to try the behavior we want. And I think that's okay. Don't think of it purely as the mechanism of how do I get to an accelerator? It is, you know, how do I drive the behavior I want with my customers? And make sure my reps line up to that. 
And what I love about focusing on the post side with the front end when it comes to compensation and behavior is you, you're now aligning up the benefit to the customer. Because at the end of the day, if I bought something, I probably wanted to use it and, and help me use it, right? I don't just go buy a piano to sit. I want to actually be able to play my piano. Uh, I'll say one thing as you're talking, it hit me. I take that to the extreme. I told one of my managers two weeks ago, if he needs to go around and ask his team to do something multiple times and, you know, something's wrong with the comp model, right? Something's broken. If I need to ask you to do something and ask you again and ask, and you're not doing it, I've set up the comp model incorrectly because in a perfect world, the things that I need to ask you to do, the compensation model is built to support that. So whenever, and again, I always tell sales managers, if you're running after your sellers, if you're sending them, if you're, if you're repeating the same conversation again and again and again, maybe in the next quarter, you need to reevaluate your comp plan and make it a minor tweak where at this point you're not asking, but the seller understands why he or she needs to do that and how that impacts them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue to this thought for you both. When you think of seller experience, I'm going to start with customer experience, okay? Imagine in a world today, going and buying a product from anywhere. And imagine if you had to interface with six, seven, eight different tools to actually buy that product, would you? That, that's a bad experience. It's a terrible experience. I need to click on more than two, three things, I'm out. Absolutely. It's terrible. It's terrible. And we all know that. That's hardly new. For the past decade, we've been relentlessly focusing on making the customer experience as easy as humanly possible in B2C and B2B and B2B2C. But why is it we're perfectly okay with the seller experience involving what is today 7.4 tools on average and being absolutely impossible for them? Like the average seller actually only spends about 30% of their time actually selling. We're asking them to be mission-driven, yet we're asking them to use a plethora of technology, and we're doing nothing to improve the seller experience. And, and how, how do you expect a seller to expose the values that you both eloquently put at the beginning of this call if we're not solving for that seller experience? Well, I think you're teeing me up, right? I mean, obviously, that's my that's the story, right? That's what we build. We the the idea of asking a seller to deal with a buyer or deliver great support or a customer experience day after day, after hour after hour, where they can't get the answers they need, the information they need to reliably help whoever they're dealing with. One, it's a high-pressure, high-stakes, high-stress job, right? So imagine calling your support agent or your sales rep or your service rep or whatever, and you're complaining, you're unhappy, you haven't got what you need, and that rep needs to look through a bunch of different tools. They don't have the answers they need. They may not have been trained the right way to use the tool. And you're expecting that person to put on a smile and stay positive and deliver a great customer experience. That is a horrible worker experience. And guess what happens? 
If I'm miserable all day long because I'm talking to people that I'm not being able to help, they're not going to have a good customer experience. Everybody wants to talk about customer experience. Think about your employees. If your employees aren't getting an experience from the technology that's there to help them, not to frustrate them, not to confuse them, not to have them hunting and pecking for what they need, but having that information readily available to deal with any situation so that they can meet that buyer or customer's need, you are not helping. I, I think the technology, the way I look, I manage five sales organizations. I want the seller to sell. I want to spend as much time and selling and, and building the relationship. That's why they make the, you know, the big dollars for selling. And, and the more, the more time you could put them at bat where everything before and everything after happens automatically. And I know this, you know, they're, they're, we're not there yet. The more you go back to cap tails, the cap goes down because now they're selling more. That's what they want to do, right? That's you hire these people because they're good at personal interaction. They're good at solving problems. They're good face-to-face. -face. They might not be great and like data input and, um, you know, follow up and all that stuff. So the more, and you don't want them to do that. Those are, those are not higher order things. Those are things that we build AI for now. Those are things that we build great systems for. Salespeople, they're great helpers. They're great conversationalists. They're great at building relationships. They're great at help solving problems. Empower them to do that. Instead of hiring five more, take the 10 that you have and make them you know, 20%, 30%, 50% more efficient. By, and you're paying less than the next 10 sellers or you're making hiring mistakes. You know, you got people factors. You got ramp. You got all of it. It's a big waste of time. Just use what you have. Make them better. Make them more successful. And they'll tell their buddies. And you'll get more inbound great salespeople than you can imagine. Give your best sellers as many at-bats as you can. That's our job. Amen. Gentlemen, I got to stop us there because we are nearly out of time. But what a great way to wrap up this episode, I think you've, you've encapsulated the seller experience perfectly there. And Tal, we always like to finish off with a little bit of fun trivia here. Um, and so you know, I'm gonna cue into uh, some sales question for you here, specific to the uh, B2C world, given that somebody has really been a pioneer in digitizing what we talked about in terms of you know, the buy now, pay later space, but on the, you know, where, where brick and mortar hits the road here. So here's the question that I'm going to give you four choices as an answer. Okay. What percentage improvement in sales conversion rates can personalization achieve in a retail setting? Okay. What percentage of, of, of sales conversion rates can personalization achieve in a real retail setting. So what's the, what's the change? Is it A, 5%, B, 10%, C, 20%, D, 30%? I'll go for the big number and I'll tell you why. So you could have tricked me and said 40% and I'd raise my hand. If at the end of the day, when you think about the retail experience, the customer is in there. They're coming to get something. They walked into the store, they, you know, and, and at this point, you know, they, they know what store they're walking into. Right, so so you're supplying something in the range of what they need, and now the the name of the game is, you know, can can that customer find what he or she needs? You know, um, do they trust the, the seller? Do they trust the store? So I think personalization is very powerful. So I'll, I'll say thirty percent. 
you you are you are so close and I agree with everything you said. It's actually twenty, just over twenty percent on that. But nonetheless, twenty to thirty percent is an extraordinary gain in terms of that retail experience. And that is why firms like Nike and others in retail settings now offer enhanced digital experiences when you walk in this door, I you know, hyper digitize all of those things. You know, it continues to take off. And I think look what you and the team are doing with Sumbit, how you're bringing that just personal touch and frankly, empathetic touch to people in need. It's helping them get that extra mile and maybe have a wonderful smile this holiday season. Um, thank you for building what you're building. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It's, it's an awesome company. Thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Thank you. For our audience, thank you as always for listening in. Please remember to like and subscribe. Also use the call and phone number to send your questions into Howard and I, and we will do our best to get with you on a future episode. Thanks so much.